0: welcome back to another episode of beyond the to-do list i'm your host eric fisher and this is the show where i talk to the people behind the productivity this week i'm sharing a conversation that i had with steven rogelberg he's the author of the new book the surprising science of meetings how you can how you can lead your team to peak performance and as you can guess obviously the topic of conversation is meetings what's wrong with them why they're broken how we fix them, obviously. There's so many different places that we can go with this conversation, and we do. So if you're opposed to meetings outright, like I think I feel I kind of am too, we can correct that. Meetings, I'll state right up front, are not inherently bad. Bad meetings are bad. This sounds so obvious to say. Anyways, I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Steve Rogelberg. Steve Rogelberg Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Stephen Rogelberg. Stephen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. Great to be here.
0: Okay. So you have a brand new book out, which is addressing a topic, a productivity topic, in fact, that I've really only touched on maybe once or once and a half times ever on the show before. And it's the topic of meetings. And the book is called The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance and Meetings are a loaded topic by the way, it's like email. it's like well there's a there's there's a few of those just landmine topics out there. I'm gonna rattle off a couple of just really interesting like hypothetical type uh questions here like when people start listening, they're like, ooh uh, their mind wanders to these questions automatically when he, when the topic of meetings comes up like why do so many organizations have so many meetings or so many bad meetings? are meetings bad or are they just broken or can we fix them? And so I want to just start with the obvious, which is, are meetings inherently bad or are, they, are there just a lot of bad meetings giving meetings a bad name? <laughs>
1: um, great question. Um, I believe that meetings are inherently not optimized, um, that there is a good deal of Ineffective and wasted time in meetings, that if you think of a meeting as kind of being a block of time, typically everyone leaves there feeling like they got some nuggets of it. It's just the ratio of good time to bad time is out of whack. Um, our research generally suggests that around 50 percent of meeting time is considered a good use of time. And so that is the number I think we can move by leveraging the science of meetings
0: very interesting so so it's and, and i I noticed you were very careful to to not say meetings are inherently bad, but that they're that they're not optimized. Um, I get the feeling that meetings are a necessity in in some form or another, because again, and we 'll get to this you know as we continue talking, but there are many different forms of meetings, and ultimately there's kind of a, a major uh well there, there's a lot of different major reasons as to why meetings are a necessity no matter what size or format they come in?
1: Yes, for sure. Um, A world without meetings is much more problematic than where we currently are. We need meetings. Meetings are essential for communication, coordination, cooperation, consensus decision-making. In many regards, organizational democracy takes place in meetings. So what we want to do is, instead of looking to eliminate meetings, look to just make our investment in meetings better
0: you know, even when you were talking about the percentage, I always think of pie. So it's like okay. if if half the pie, like if, if it was a literal pie, you know, if it was like, hey, if half the pie was, I don't know, just dog food and the other half was, you know, your favorite type of pie and it just mattered upon what, you know, which side you ended up taking a slice out of, you know, it's like, well, let's work towards getting that pie ratio to a better percentage.
1: Exactly. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't like the idea of a dog food pie, um, personally. I was
0: trying to come up with Um, something that wouldn't like really be worse than that. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I almost think, (laughs) okay, I'm going to play with this metaphor a little more. (laughs) Um, I think it's the idea that we have a pie and there's a little dog food swirl all around the pie. And every time you cut into that pie to have a meeting, unfortunately, you're getting some dog food. And sometimes that dog food to yummy pie ratio is just way out of sync. Um, I really don't think that there's many meetings where people leave. They're just saying, "Okay, there was just nothing good about that. That was terrible. Um, I do think that they get something out of it, which also um, then serves to create this complacency. Right. Because since meetings are serving some value, even the bad ones, So many leaders and organizations are just not motivated to really fix the meeting issue. I think they just assume that by having a meeting, it just has to have, oh gosh, lots of dog food in it. Yeah, Um, And it's just, and and I actually believe that no meeting is going to be 100% a good use of time. Um, I actually don't think that's a realistic goal um, because you have lots of different people in there and everyone has their own agendas. You know, what, what I believe research and research, I think, supports is that we can shoot for around 80 to 85 percent of time in meetings being that good use of time.
0: Oh, okay, That's kind of the point there. Then it's like, well, okay, so how do we get to that? How do we get to that ratio being being that high? And, you know, and I would even I would even consider like well, I'm going to throw this out there, like the idea of having like a five minute meeting where you just walk in and it's just one to two people or or maybe it's everybody who knows that that needs to be involved. But like, couldn't that be like a ninety nine percent or something if it's so streamlined and so on point, you know, I mean, it can,
1: it or, can, but that's it's still hard to do Um when you have lots of people in a room, and everyone kind of ha is in a in a different place, um so yeah, I mean, I could easily think of some situations where it's a small group um with such a super compelling agenda and it's run extremely well that that meeting is just a home run, like I can definitely see that, but i I think in general, perfection is really not what we're striving for because, you know, inherently, um, when we're talking about human interactions and human behavior compounded across people. And so, you know, I think, you know, perfection is probably an enemy of the, of a true appetite to make these things better. And there really, there's so much low hanging fruit that can be done to, to get these things, um, in a good place.
0: Well, and, and even in my scenario there of, hey, make it a really short one and make it like super on point and, you know, cut out all the fat and all of those kinds of things to, to get that ratio up there. Somebody out there is listening and they're saying, well, well, then why does it need to be a meeting? Couldn't yes. it just have been a an email and or some other thing? And and you can go down that rabbit trail and talk about all the different technology and things. But I think let's go back to the very beginning here and just say, you know, why are meetings necessary or what are the benefits of actually meeting
1: given the evolution? And I truly believe that it's an evolution where organizations have changed such that we embrace the notion that involvement of employees in work, getting, gathering their voices, um, you know, Actively promoting coordination, all these things enable an organization to fulfill its mission more effectively. Um, So, you know, fundamentally, meetings, I believe, are that tool that has led to. Um, that has been a manifestation of this belief system, this belief system in people. You know, But if you turn back the clock and go to the Industrial Revolution and you say, okay, well, what was done then? Well, it was just command and control systems, right? It was a boss saying, do this, and everyone doing it. But we evolved away from that. Um, we just believe that there's something more, something good can happen when people are actively involved, engaged, and participate. So – meetings are the mechanism to make those things happen. Uh they are the tools, they are the essential tool or yeah, mechanism to do it. So that's that's why we have them. And you. um you know, thank goodness we do.
0: Yeah, the the collaborative uh wheels that can can actually be moved or the the voice as you alluded to and and the semi-democratic, you know, depending upon the organization uh involvement of all the parties involved. Uh, definitely lead to meetings having a benefit. So my question here is, so then why do meetings uh, go off the rails? Like how sure. and where do they start to go off the rails to where they've gotten this bad name where, you know, again, somebody says the word meeting or meetings and it's like everybody groans.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a number of different answers. Um, let, me, let me start with this one. Uh, so we... Best estimates suggest there are around 55 million meetings a day in the U.S. alone. Best estimates suggest that only around 20% of leaders ever receive any training on how to lead a meeting. And our research generally suggests that the person who leaves a meeting feeling like it was the best use of time is, can you guess, who's the person that leaves there feeling the best?
0: Probably the person who led the meeting. <laughs> exactly. All right. Or called so meeting.
1: leaders have an inflated sense that it was a good use of time and they don't really have any training. So you put those two forces together and that is definitely the recipe for dysfunction. So I think it starts there. And because people don't receive training on this, they basically recycle practices that they've been exposed to And if those practices were not based in excellence, um, they were just recycled from other leaders who had this blind spot, then it just keeps happening over and over again. And so many leaders and organizations just don't recognize that that cycle can be broken. But frankly, that's what's been so exciting to me about my book's success. So the book came out um, January 2nd. And then January 3rd, Washington Post named it in the top 10 books to watch for. And week after, Business Insider did the same thing, named it the top 14 books. And then I see the response um, of the public and the media to the book. And it gets me so excited because as a meeting scientist, um, because I'm not a professional author. I'm a meeting scientist who translated the science into practice. So as a meeting scientist... This, to me, is all signaling that there is a change in the landscape, that people are starting to recognize that bad meetings don't have to be business as usual, that if we focus some attention on them, we can make a difference. And so, for example, a very basic idea, besides really meaningful training, is measurement, so I do a lot of speeches to chief talent officers and CEOs, and I often ask a question. And my question is, how many folks in this room have on their employee engagement surveys, those annual surveys, um, content around meetings? So let's say, for example, I asked 100 people, how many of you have content on your surveys around, around meetings? Eric, how many do you think Raise their hands out of 100?
0: Well, I mean, I would say probably all of them. Okay.
1: They, and that would be the exact wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> so out of 100 people, I usually only get one or two people who say, yeah, we assess meetings on our engagement surveys. Um, so your answer is absolutely the intuitively correct answer, right? With 55 million meetings a day, how could you not be assessing these things? But in practice, we see just the opposite. Um, people are not looking at this. So now you keep filling in the picture, right? We've got a blind spot. We have no training. We have no assessment. That's a lot of forces <laughs> that are leading to
0: dysfunction. I feel glad that I got the right answer, but that's pretty sad. This episode's brought to you by MetPro. If you've ever attempted to get healthy, no matter where you are on the spectrum of whatever health means to you, if you've tried to lose weight or tried to eat healthy or tried to just feel better or be more active and you've made some progress but then plateaued again, it's probably because your body adapted to it. MetPro is a world-renowned Concierge Nutrition, Fitness, and Lifestyle Coaching Company. They use metabolic profiling so that then MetPro's team of experts can analyze your metabolism and provide an individualized approach so you can obtain your goals. Everybody's metabolism is different not only from other people, but from themselves. Your metabolism can change, and it's not fundamentally about what you eat or how you train, though those are important. MetPro will actually focus in on working smarter and establishing a game plan specific to your goals and your lifestyle needs, and they do that by creating a metabolic profile starting with a baseline. That way, then those experts that, again, are trained to take those results and translate them into simple actionable steps can then tell you what you should be eating and how you should be training and what your ideal strategy should be. And MetPro coaches understand that you're busy. You have a demanding schedule, a stressful life, but they can work with you one-on-one to identify the best nutrition and fitness strategy so that it works with your personal goals and your lifestyle needs. MetPro is offering beyond the to-do list listeners, a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert. To claim this offer, all you need to do is go to MetPro.co slash beyond. Again, that's a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and then a 30 minute consultation with a METPRO expert. Just go to METPRO, M-E-T-P-R-O dot co, that's dot C-O slash beyond. So is assessment maybe one of the first places that we should start to look in terms of, you know, getting an inkling of how meetings start bad and end worse. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of an organization starting to um, engage in activities to examine the return on meeting investment. Um, Estimates suggest that 15% of personnel budgets go towards meetings. This is a tremendous expenditure, right? When you think about time and salaries. So it behooves an organization to at least ask a question, are meetings working for us? And so the assessment piece helps to fill in that gap. Um, Other actions really should revolve around the leader. The meeting leader is absolutely the pivotal person uh, for making meetings fantastic. And so we need to provide training to that person. But it has to be high fidelity training, meaning you just can't tell the leader, hey, you need to have an agenda. Because that's just a tactic. And interestingly, our research suggests that having an agenda in of itself does nothing for meeting effectiveness. Right? And, but this really shouldn't surprise us because around 50% of agendas are just merely recycled. So what matters more is, well, what's on the agenda? How was it created? Did you ask for input from others? Is it relevant? And most importantly, how did you facilitate the items that were on that agenda? So when we train people, we have to move beyond just the tactics of saying do X, Y, and Z. And instead, really get into facilitation and thoughtfulness and and then something called being a good steward. And this is the idea that the best meeting leaders think differently. They recognize that they are inherently a steward of others' time. And when you recognize that you're a steward of others time then you just don't dial it in, you start to think about the meeting experience, you start to think about adding value to people. And what's so fascinating is that this mindset is something we do all the time when it comes to meeting with our customers, we never go into a meeting with a customer, completely blind and unintentional right we think first but when it comes to meetings with our own people that's when our intentionality and thoughtfulness just we seem to put it aside
0: yeah i love this idea of being a good steward and it's not even just being a good steward of our time as well as our coworkers or subordinates or or even superiors time it's the organization's time and efficiency there as well yeah
1: they're so the more you know in the the various speeches I give, you know, I I present these data and I say, you know, you can make the case that we're living and dying in meetings. But as an organizational psychologist, I see this as an incredible opportunity, right? Because things are are really so bad around this topic and it's given so little energy that given this, there's just, there truly is incredible opportunities to make this time live up to its potential and to give People, the greatest gift of all, which is more time, right? Everyone is craving more time. And if we run meetings effectively, we'll be able to return some time back to people.
0: Not only that, uh, in, in terms of giving time back to people, but um, coming out of a good meeting or, or, or say a, a less bad meeting and in an increasingly less bad meeting uh, culture in whatever organization you're, you're in, you start to get more clarity, on the vision of the company, the or the organization, the uh, expectations that are coming that are expected of you and or others and your relationship to those other people in the meeting. And there was one other thing I was going to say. Uh, oh, the, the duh, productivity, the next the next action steps that you should be taking or even uh, the next action steps that you should be thinking about possibly taking.
1: You're absolutely right. And I had some colleagues that did research on this and um, absolutely linked uh, meetings done well and organizational effectiveness and organizational success. Um, so, yeah, not only when you do things, these meetings, well, are you decreasing employee frustration? Um, but you will get positive benefits, not only you know from organizational success perspectives, But even employee engagement, so we find that when meetings are run well, employees report higher levels of engagement overall in their jobs, and overall engagement is correlated with um, all kinds of outcomes such as performance, cooperation, teamwork, even safety on the job. Um so yeah, doing thing doing meetings right is an incredible, incredible opportunity for organizations um just to, to realize their full potential
0: so then other than assessing the way our meetings are being done as well as uh shifting into this uh approach of of if you're a leader, uh leading a meeting or calling a meeting in terms of having a stewardship perspective. What are some of these other ways that we can start to design or execute better meetings?
1: So we can think of um, a number of different practices. Uh, So first of all, you know, we want meeting leaders to carefully manage meeting size. And we can talk about that if you'd like. I'll I'll throw out a bunch of different things. I think I think
0: we can go a lot of different little places for sure. We can.
1: So there's ideas around how do we manage meeting size? There's ideas around how can we manage meeting time? Um, For example, why default to one hour? Um, We can talk about the idea of how a meeting leader can improve kind of the overall mood in meetings. Um, And these are all factors that ultimately will lead to meeting success. And there's just so much. And I just, I can't emphasize enough that What's really exciting about the book is that it helps bring evidence-based solutions. So it's just not me sharing my opinion how to do these things. Um, there is just really positive, really good science that provides um, guidance on all these areas. So I'll stop there. And if you want to probe any of those, I'm happy to chat.
0: Perfect. Yes. So we could go to all those different places. Let's see where we go. But let's start with one that honestly is one of my Particular, uh, and, and people I know, it's their particular, I don't know, pet peeve when it comes to meetings. And it's the amount of time. And so, uh, obviously, and, and you mentioned this in the book. So I was great to see, it was great to see that Parkinson's Law. People aren't familiar. It's the it's this adage that work will expand to fill the time allotted, and it's very much the same with meetings. That meetings will expand to fill the the time that you allot for them. So having this default one hour meeting when it may not take that long uh, may not be to be the way to go. Oh gosh, you're you're absolutely so right. Length so of one- meetings is really my biggest thing. Where it's like, oh my gosh, why is this meeting so long? It's it's kind of where yeah. I was going when I said, hey, what about a five minute meeting? earlier. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean we so we default to one hour meetings um typically that's the most common meeting length and that's really an artifact of outlook calendars and just calendars in general. Um, there's nothing magical about a one-hour meeting, and given Parkinson's law, as you noted, um, you know work will expand to fill that one hour. So we can use this to our advantage, right? We could start saying, you know what, maybe this meeting only takes 48 minutes. Um, let's schedule for 48 minutes, or maybe this meeting should only take 35. Um, what I want a meeting leader to do is recognize there isn't a magic time, and they should just choose a time that makes sense. And it could be an odd time. That's completely fine. In fact, once they choose a time, what I encourage them to do is actually dial it back a little bit. Um, Psychological research suggests that when you add a little bit of pressure to um, a meeting, that you create additional focus and performance actually benefits. Mm, So be intentional, be deliberate, pick a meeting time that makes sense uh, for the agenda. Don't just default for an hour. And the other added benefit of that is that you are giving people transition time. Um, And what I refer to there is that in so many organizations, meetings are back to back to back to back, and for whatever reason, we have not built in transition time. So, despite the fact that our school systems are all organized that way, we're all socialized to think of transition time in organizations. That's often not the case. So, by starting to dial back your meeting times um, in meaningful ways, um, you an added benefit is this transition time.
0: And even the transition time is necessary uh, when they're digital meetings, when they're whether video calls or audio calls only. And
1: maybe even more so for digital and video because um, it's just so essential when you use technology to facilitate a meeting that people get there early so that the technology is all sorted out before the meeting starts.
0: Oh, gosh, I wasn't even thinking about that factor. Yeah, because, you know, there's – you've probably seen it. There's uh, Tripp and Tyler – uh, they're a video a comedy yeah. kind of video. they they've did one as like, uh, meetings in real life and it was online meetings and it was, you know, anyway, I'll, you know what, I'm going to drop that, uh, in the show notes so people can watch that video. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, the, the whole transition time isn't just about moving from one meeting to the other. It's actually about going through the digital corridors and making sure everything that you are using for the meeting is working. So, yeah, yeah, true, true. So do you think that it's good then? Uh I, I think I hear what you're saying is, is you know, maybe you can still choose a default time, but choosing a default time that's shorter to begin with is great. But if you go even shorter than that, especially if or let me let me say it this way. If the meeting's done, you can end the meeting earlier than the time allotted.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> but people won't typically do that. Um no. they just and it goes back to Parkinson's Law. So that's why that during the actual design and the decision making process, that's where we want to shorten the meeting lengths.
0: This episode is also brought to you by Text Expander. Give your productivity a boost with Text Expander, like I do with mine. Text Expander allows you to turn the things that you type into snippets, and then wherever you need them, you can call them up instantly. This is about being not only efficient, but effective because your time is too valuable. Life is too short. You shouldn't be typing the same things over and over again when you could be using a snippet from Text Expander. Not only do I use it daily, constantly, but companies are using Text Expander for their teams to do customer support, email, and anywhere else they need to be consistent and accurate with their text. Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Windows iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. And you can get 20% off your first year by visiting Textexpander.com slash podcast. That's 20% off for your first year. Go to Textexpander.com slash podcast. In that meeting prep time, what do we need to be doing there? When you are prepping
1: a meeting, you're really designing an experience. you know, Think about what you do before you do your podcast interviews, right? You're, it's not like you're scripting them, but you are thinking about them and the story that's going to be created. And that's similar to a meeting where you just have to engage in some thought. Um, how do you want this experience to look? And then given that thought, um, how much time should that take? And, you know, as you're kind of structuring that experience, and this kind of kicks into some of that agenda stuff, um, you know, really, when you start thinking about kind of the cadence of a meeting, yeah, that the first five minutes can be information or acknowledgments. But after that first five minutes, it's go time, like you go on the most important, meaty, difficult, challenging item, the item that is most important, and people talk about that. And the reason being is that by doing that, you know, you're going to make sure that that meeting has actually done something important. And when you run out of time, if that happens, the stuff that's going to be missed are, is just the lesser important stuff at the end of a meeting.
0: I mean, having the priority of the meeting right up front to tackle the things that right. are most important. I mean, it seems right. obvious, but how, how many meetings have we been in where that's not what happens? We it's deal not with, what happens. But, yeah. but,
1: and then, but this is where I go back to this, this concept of a customer meeting, right? So we don't do that with customer meetings. We do think carefully about the order. We do think carefully about how we're going to have that customer meeting. So we, we have the, the skills um, to do it. Um, it's just that we're not typically applying them to a, um, an employee meeting
0: perspective. Yeah. Do you think that we should go with an agenda um template or do we need to shake it up and say uh you know depending upon I mean is it circumstantial? I mean do we need to right. or have different templates for different different meetings I guess.
1: I like the idea of having multiple templates. Um I uh, You know, I see sometimes organizations in response to my book, they start saying, okay, we need to absolutely always do A, B, and C. And let's say A is having, you know, an agenda template. And I'm just not a huge fan of that. Um, I want the leader to have freedom. Um, I want the leader to be able to allow her, his voice to, um, or their imagination to bring these meetings to life you know, if you have a bunch of standardized tools, then my fear is that that leader is once again not being intentional. So I like the idea of presenting leaders with a variety of different options, a variety of different tools. And that's how I structured my book. So what's different about my book is I don't, I don't portray it as a magic formula to making meetings better. I don't say do A, then B, then C, then D, then E. I don't, that's to me is not what the science suggests. What I do in my book and what, I'll communicate here is this idea that there's so many different things that can be done in a meeting. There's so many choices that can be made around who to invite, what processes to use, whether you should leverage silence or not. Um, you know, whether um yeah, so there's all these various tools and choices that someone can make. And what I want you to do is think about who you are as a leader. I want you to think about what your agenda is, I want you to think about the attendees and start making choices. And if I can just get you to make choices, then I feel that I will be able to move the dial on this this meeting stuff. If I start saying that I need you to do A, B, and C exactly and always, my fear is that you will first of all rebel against the fact that I'm telling you what to do. And B, you start just repeating the same dysfunction which we already have, which is just the non-intentionality.
0: Yeah, it's just new problems added to the old – Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I think one of the things that uh, I found, uh, most refreshing as I was going through the book was this idea of having, uh, and this is again, what kind of why I brought it up earlier was maybe having frequent, short standing meetings. And by standing, I mean, uh, literally standing, like standing on your yeah. two feet or Standing sure. like it's always there. It's like a, it's a check in instead of a meeting because right. some people might actually feel better about having a check in. Yeah. You know, hey, come to my office. Right. Well, I mean, it's still a meeting. It's still a one on one meeting for five minutes once daily or, or even once weekly. And it just, but the frequency of it, in other words, and the amount of it being, um, You know, it's almost like saying, hey, you can swallow one big pill and suffer through it once a week, or you could sit and have one, you'd have one tiny pill daily, which do you choose? Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. Um, You know, there are different ways of us that we can carry out the meetings. Um, As you mentioned, you know, standing meetings versus sitting meetings, um, meetings where you stand for some of it, but not all of it, Uh, meetings where you take a walk, um, which is perfectly fine, Um, and meetings that are short, fast, like huddles. You know, which are really designed for creating alignment, doing a quick scan of daily challenges, getting just getting everyone on the same page, um, and that could be five or ten minutes, and bam, you're off, you're going. Um, all these meetings have a potential place, and I have no problem. Um, I find it exciting when a leader says, "Okay, um, you know, fundamentally, I'm trying to improve communication and coordination and cooperation." Well, what should we do? with our meetings to promote those goals and have a discussion around this and see what people come up. I mean, meetings are a shared experience. They are a collective experience. Um, I truly believe that the people that you work with would have some pretty good perspectives. And once you gather those perspectives and you try some new practices, um, you let that go for a few months and then you have that conversation again because it's, Wrong to assume that worked. What worked in months uh, zero to three will continue to work months four to six. So these the most successful leaders in general um, are just they're keeping things fresh. They are not just taking things for granted. They're talking to people who uh, depend on them that you know, report into them, and they're zigging and zagging, and they're creating an environment and a culture of learning, of innovation, of reflection. And, you know, this is going to just completely benefit the group. And it's really going to benefit the leader um, in their and their potential to develop.
0: Yeah, man, there's so much more that we could dive into, but it's all – really deep stuff and really practical stuff at the same time. It's not just, you know, here's some research. It's You've got so much practical stuff in the book. So I just think people need to pick this up. Um, the, again, it's called The Surprising Science of Meetings. And, uh, I, you know, do you have any preference of where you'd like people to go? Or is there a website where oh, sure. people could
1: yeah. uh, dive um, deep and so get, maybe get a sample? Thank you. Um, yes. Um, so my website, um, there's two really easy ones to go to. So you can go to just stevenrogelberg.com. Again, StephenRogelberg.com, or you can go to TheSurprisingScience.com, TheSurprisingScience.com. And uh, it's worth going because I actually have a bunch of resources on there as well. So there's more book information, there's more resources, there's videos, um, a TED Talk I did. Uh, so I hope people will check it out. And... um Yeah. I mean, I'd love, I mean, this, it's a, it's a thin read. Um, this is, I think it's 182 pages. And so I get to the point quickly, each chapter is going to, you know, slam through some of these evidence-based strategies. I'll provide organizational examples so you can see how they're applied. And my hope is that you read this and go, Oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. And then you run with it and you see how it works for you. And while we can't control other people's meetings, we can control our meetings, right? We can be the light. We can make good, deliberate and thoughtful choices, choices that honor people's time. And we can be known as that person who is a good steward. And this is something that will really benefit us and the organization we work for.
0: Totally. Yeah. And actually, I was just going to say this this book is like a good meeting where it accomplishes its goal and then it ends. It's not filled with fluff.
1: <laughs> Thank you. That really means a lot to me. Because yeah. um, that, that was really my hope. Um, I really I just did not want to belabor this this point. Um, I wanted to make this just something folks can get a lot out of. Um, you know, I saw the audio book version and, um, I think it takes five and a half hours for that person to speak the entire book to you. So clearly it's not going to be a big investment to get through it, but I I promise you, you will get stuff from it.
0: There is so much in here. I mean, we could go on for a lot longer, but it's better off people just dig in because it's all circumstantial. It's really going to, like you said, it's going to be about who you are if you're the leader or if you're, uh, someone who's part of the meetings. Um, It's and it's all circumstance, and and that's great though because it means you're going to find something in here that's going to help you uh, deal with meetings and create better ones. So, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for being here. It's been great talking with you.
1: Likewise, thank you for reaching out, Eric. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, that's another episode crossed off your podcast listening to do list. I think after this, you should have a meeting to share this episode with the people that either hate meetings altogether or and dare I say it, lead really bad meetings. So that's my challenge to you. If you got something out of this episode, I'd love for you to strategically think of a way to share this podcast episode with that person. Or honestly, if you need to... Water cooler, commiserate with somebody, one of your coworkers, uh, that hates meetings as well as you do and needs to join forces with you in order to impact subversively, possibly the culture that you are in as it pertains to meetings. Use this as a tool to start that change. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode at Beyond the You can find this episode specifically at Beyond the com slash 280. There you'll also be able to find a way to let me know if you have topics or people you want to hear about or from on this podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode.